Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Christian. I'm the other pastor here at PCTR. It's good to be with you. I was supposed to be with you last week, but unfortunately I got held up. I had a flight delay of about 36 hours and I couldn't be here. So I made the most of it, but um, it's just the way it works these days. The flight crew had uh, been quarantined um, and, you know, what can you do? What can you do? But it's so good to be together with you. Today we are continuing our sermon series called Winning, Seven Messages on Overcoming, where we're walking through the seven letters to the churches that we find in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And these letters speak to a variety of situations um, that churches face. And um, where we're kind of coming at it is that there are words of encouragement and affirmation in these letters. There's words of rebuke and correction and even warning. But as we face these things, um, because in some sense we can find ourselves individually and corporately in some of these letters, in some of these churches, we can overcome these challenges by the grace of God and um, live into what Christ has for us. And so we're looking at uh, letter number five, the letter to Sardis. And it's a challenge to, one of the main challenges that comes to us from this letter is to really be clear-eyed, to realize what's, what's real in our lives and what's fake and um, what by laziness we do not always address and what we can proactively engage in. What can we be called to engage? And as I was thinking about this um, over the last couple of weeks in, in preparing for this, I thought of something. Uh, I, I know this is going to seem strange, but there, it fits in. I was thinking of the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland theme parks. And uh, let me explain, spoilers ahead for a ride that's 53 years old. I'm sorry if you haven't been on it. But um, in the Haunted Mansion, you go in and through a series of events, you eventually end up in a seat that has enough for two or maybe um, uh, three people, and you kind of go along, and you see a variety of things that you might see in a Haunted Mansion. At one point, you come into this room, and you, there's a dining room there, and basically what appears to be ghosts and things like that, misbehaving, dancing on the, the long table and doing all these different things, it, it's there. And um, your eyes are telling you one thing. But I remember when I was a high school student living in California and had the opportunity to go, I, I heard this thing that if you take a penny with you on that ride, and this isn't the best thing to do. I'm sorry to admit this. Uh, <laughs> but if you take a penny and you can, you can flick it at that scene, um, what happens is the penny will go out and you hear this tick. And it's the penny hitting a piece of glass. And what it's telling you is that what you see is not really as it uh, really 
what's really there, that it's a reflection actually of something that's beneath you against glass behind a, a dining room scene. And that what seems to be the case isn't always um, uh, the reality. And that we need to think um, from, uh, we need to realize what reality is and uh, how to engage that. And our passage today really kind of gets at that, what are appearances and what is reality. And so without delay, let us go ahead and take a look at our passage. It comes to us from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Um, This is the letter to the church in Sardis. Listen for God's word for us. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to these churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word and preserving it for us. Lord, we ask that we would hear you through your word and what is said here. What might be purely of me, might that fall away, that we would come to know and love you more and more, and that is made possible through your Son, in whose name we pray, amen. It is ironic that in this day, in this time, Um, when we are so connected via digital devices um, that we can send a message around the world in mere moments. Um, I I noticed this when I was in Honduras um, the week before, um, or when I communicate with people, you can just instantaneously communicate. Um, In my iPhone, I can send a message, and almost instantly the message comes up, it was delivered. Yet in this time of digital connection, we have so many people that are longing to know others and to be known. And as we were hearing in the prayers about this month, we we feel that it's important to set aside a month for mental health. And part of the mental health situation is that while we are digitally connected, we feel a separation. We don't feel as connected. We want to know and to be known. And I think ultimately our hope in that is that we are known by Christ and we get to know Christ and Christ calls us to be a part of all his children, to be a part of the church that he calls us into, into a unique 
a group of people, a people that's here in this place but transcends geography, transcends time, and we are brought together with the great cloud of witnesses with us. We have a connection that can exist. The challenge is this. As we are known by Christ, we are known by Christ. Our reputations alone will um, be seen through. And that is the challenge of Sardis. Sardis had a reputation, a good reputation, but they were known by Christ. And Christ saw through their reputation that their reputation was not reality, and he gives his assessment. We do not know exactly what the issues were in Sardis, um, this place, this church that Christ was speaking to, but there were issues. They had left things undone, and their appearances were not meeting reality, and there were challenges with that. They, in some sense, had fallen asleep, Fallen asleep, the, the church had, and, and were not uh, living into their faith. And that was a powerful image. That, that our, our passage talks about wake up. Wake up, the church of Sardis. And as we've heard in our other letters, Christ knows these individual churches. Last week, Pastor Robbie talked about um, uh, Christ appearing as with burnished feet, you know, the, the metal, and, and um, he, each of these letters have some, some things, some details that speak to how well Christ knows that place. And here, this image of wake up, wake up is a powerful one for Sardis, because part of Sardis's history is that they um, had been a glorious city in the past and had been a capital and had marble-lined roads and beautiful structures and acropolis of its own and had been a walled city. But at one point there was a dispute and an army had come and laid siege to Sardis. And in the midst of that siege, one night there was a soldier of Sardis up on the wall there and he fell asleep at his post, which is a huge thing that you do not do. But he fell so asleep that he seemed to fall over on the wall, and his helmet fell over the wall down below, which would not be good. A soldier, you know, at the end of his his post, his time there standing guard at night, they would wonder where his helmet is, and if he had to say it was down there, that would be incredibly embarrassing. He could probably um, be punished for it. But his helmet had fallen down, and so to resolve the situation, he decided that he would go out the secret entrance there at the gate and to go and pick up his helmet and go back. The challenge is that this soldier was not the only one aware of these events, and that the army that was around Sardis had their leader, and their leader was watching and saw this chain of events. And so they knew where that secret entrance was. And so that leader of that army boldly went to that secret entrance, was able to get in, was able to go in, open up the gates, and the people took the city. And they crushed it. And Sardis never quite had the same glory that it had had before. And so the call to stay awake, the call to wake up, is a powerful image for Sardis in general, but uh, as the Christian church there, um, it would carry in importance as well. 
And that's exactly what is being done. Christ is saying, wake up. Don't be crushed. Don't lose the glory that you have that's been given to you, that you have received. And um, Sardis is a unique church uh, of these letters because there's no throne of Satan. There's no liars. There's no synagogue of Satan or the throne of Satan. The enemy is themselves. They have met the enemy, and it's themselves, and they have fallen asleep. They have become complacent in their faith. They have not followed through in the things that Christ has called them to do. They have left them undone, and Christ sees this, and Christ knows this. It, it evokes this image that you, we have in the, in the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's this imaginative book. Um, where there is a, a trainee tempter and uh, a mentor tempter, and all you are hearing are their communications, their written communications between them. And um, through, uh, from their point of view, from Satan's point of view, there's an unfortunate chain of events where the person being tempted becomes a Christian. And so the mentor is hard on the trainee that the, we let this happen, but then the mentor does convey the idea that well, don't worry. We can, uh, we can um, work to have this person become complacent in their faith, that it would just become routine, and they would, in some sense, and in, in the verbiage that we're using here today, fall asleep. And it goes on to say that um, um, Satan and his, his minions have used this for many years to great effect, so much so that there isn't even the need for dramatic action, dramatic demonic action in these situations. Just let the person fall asleep in their faith. That's exactly what Christ is calling us not to do, to not be asleep, but to wake up, to respond, to, um, in some sense, have a revival, to have a revival. And that is a a good thing in the sense that um, we have agency, that we are not condemned to merely be asleep, that we don't have to keep hitting the snooze bar of our faith, but we can be engaged, that we have a choice. We need to respond. We're called to respond, um, but we can respond, and we can have agency in the midst of this. We can respond and not continue in these ways, these ways where we leave things undone and lean more and more in our earthly ways. There's a list of some of these things that um, these earthly ways that people can fall into. Um, Let me just offer these. These come from Galatians chapter 5 where it says this. Um, People can end up living repetitive lives, loveless, include, uh, it can include cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless gabs, uh, grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, a vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. This is often the way that the world falls into, 
and is not awake to what Christ has for us. And we can find that sometimes, even though we go to church and we dress up in our best, we can find that, that our lives sometimes reflect that. If we're not awake, if we're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit to live transformed lives. And as we do that, if we do wake up, if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, our lives can look different. That same passage continues on that we, as we um, are awake and we engage in the faith that Christ has for us, then things, um, we we find that we have affection for others, an exuberance of life, a serenity, a peace. We develop a willingness to stick with things, uh, have a sense of compassion of the heart, and a conviction that there's a basic holiness that permeates all things and all people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life and to marshal and to direct our energies wisely. As we are awake, we collaborate with what Christ has for us then we can respond. And so the church of Sardis is not ultimately condemned. They face a serious situation, but there is an opportunity to respond and to to live in a new way, Christ's way, for us. But he warns that if there is a lack of response, if the people keep hitting the snooze, if they keep pulling the cover over their heads, then uh, he will come. Christ will come at a time that they are not expecting it, that this is a possible consequence. And we hear about this. This is not a new image. Our our passage that we heard earlier, the gospel passage, Jesus in the gospels evokes this image of him coming as a thief in the night. And thieves do not typically call ahead and say, I'll be around about one o'clock in the morning. They don't announce themselves. That's just not how it works. Um, but they show up unexpected. Because if, if you expected it, then you would be ready. But, but Christ comes, and we are to live, uh, I believe as Pat said, in a life of readiness. That uh, our lives would be ready at all times to receive Christ. And that would be wonderful if we're living that way and awake, as this passage talks about. But if we're not, then it will seem awful, like a thief coming in the night. And so that's really one, the majority of the group in Sardis, but there is a second group that's mentioned. There's a second group that is described as, uh, th- these are symbols. Remember, Revelations is very heavy. Uh, it drips with symbols. And the symbols to designate this second group of people is that they have um, clean white clothes, clean white clothes, which is an image that comes up again and again in uh, Revelation and elsewhere. The idea of being dressed in white and clean clothes, it's a consistently a symbol of religious and moral purity, especially in the face of persecution. Later in the book of Revelation, in the last few chapters, there is a celebration where the church comes together with Jesus, whose um, symbol at that point is the lamb, and it talks about the wedding feast of the lamb, and it talks about how the wedding party is dressed in white, which is symbolic of their acts, the things, the deeds that they have done. 
And this is a Christian image, but it's, it's also an image that's used uh, in a variety of different religions, in, especially in Asia Minor. It would be considered um, very inappropriate to come to a, a temple of, of their gods uh, with un, uh, unclean clothes, with soiled clothes. Some suggest that perhaps um, the, un, the people of unclean clothes, that they've compromised themselves, that they're they're not true, but there is a group that has stayed faithful through it all. And with this group of people, Jesus closely identifies in an amazing way. Um, he, it, the passage talks about how Jesus is similarly dressed in white because he has such amazing actions and going to the cross and his resurrection and his perfect and holy life that he was able to live. He too is dressed in white, but not only that, he in some sense walks arm in arm with them and come that day when we face the judgment seat and come before God our Father and the angels, it says that Jesus would acknowledge such people. How amazing is that? That Jesus would know us and acknowledge us before his Father and the angels. And this beautiful image that our names can be written in the book of life. Now, it might have not been a book like we know, a book like we have in our homes or, or wherever, but it, it might have been a scroll. The reality is though, that most people would not own scrolls. And the idea that not only is there a a great scroll that is important to God's people, but that our names would be in it would be truly amazing. Truly amazing. And this image of having our name in the book of life is in some sense an image of eternal security. That it's written there and it's indelible. It's like Sharpie or whatever. It's not in pencil. Our names aren't in pencil but in pen, indelible pen, that it can't be taken away. And that we have this security, these people. And I think these people have an opportunity. There's, a, there's a, the majority that needs to be awakened. And there are people that are faithful in the midst. And how wonderful would it be that the, the people of un um, of, of unspoiled clothes could be a leaven to impact the church. I think that's a great opportunity that they can have, that they can impact to help the church awaken to what they are doing. It's noteworthy that Jesus does not tell these people with the unsoiled clothes to leave that church, to leave the church of Sardis, to migrate to a different one, or to start their own down the street. That has been, unfortunately, part of the history of churches through the ages. But Jesus does not go that way. He does not tell them to leave, but to be faithful and to continue. And I think it is that they might be that leaven that can raise up the church in cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And so this this is the letter to Sardis. To the majority, wake up. And, and don't let what has been given to you through hearing and the message received to fade away and those to continue on in what they're doing together. And I hope you can find yourself, if not in the letter to Sardis, but in one of these letters and find that to be a motivation to 
live into the faith that Christ has called us, whether we face persecution, whether we deal with liars, where we have to sometimes admit the enemy is ourselves and have to face that reality. Uh, We have a couple letters more to go, but I hope that these are powerful things, that as we continue to think on these and move through these, that you'll see how Christ is calling that we might overcome and win for him that we might one day lay down whatever laurel reef we might have at his feet. But having gone through this, in closing, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, Hopefully, we have a deeper understanding of it, and I want to read a paraphrase of this passage to you one more time so that you can hear the Christ, Christ speaking to us, calling out that we would wake up. So once more, here is the letter to the church in Sardis. Write this to Sardis, to the angel of the church, the one holding the seven spirits of God in one hand, a firm grip on the seven stars with the other, speaks, I see right through your work. You have a reputation of vigor and zest, but you're dead, stone dead. Up on your feet, take a deep breath. Maybe there's life in you yet, but I wonder, uh, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't know it by looking at your busy work. Nothing of God's work has been completed. Your condition is desperate. Think of the gift you once had in your hands, the message you heard with your ears. Grasp it again and turn back to God. If you pull the covers back over your head and sleep on, oblivious to God, I'll return when you least expect it. Break into your life like a thief in the night. You still have a few followers of Jesus in Sardis who haven't ruined themselves wallowing in the muck of the world's ways. They walk with me on parade. They've proved their worth. Conquerors will march in the victory parade. Their names indelible in the book of life. I'll lead them up and present them by name to my father and his angels. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Amen. Join me in prayer. Lord, you see right through us. You see through our reputations. You know exactly what is reality. We're glad to be known by you, but it's also a challenge but we want to respond to what it is that you have spoken into our lives, that we would uh, find a new way possible in you to be able to experience the new life that you offer us, to, to be set free and to live to all that you have called us to do. Lord, help us to stop hitting the snooze bar, that we would give up sleeping in more and more, that we would arise to a new day, that your light might fill our eyes, fill our lives and that we might be able to reflect your light in the world around us. We pray all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.